I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house. Even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite- Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey guys, I just want to do a quick disclaimer this week. More so than ever before, we had some really unique background noise challenges. I hope you'll forgive us, and I hope you'll find them as funny as we did. All right, enjoy the show. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. All right, what is this? Book of the month pre-roll. Okay, go. Paging all book lovers, today's show is supported by Book of the Month. Book of the Month is a rapidly growing service with a simple goal, to make sure you love what you read. Browse the five best books of the month and discover titles you wouldn't have found on your own. With exclusive pricing starting at just $10 and free shipping, you can get your favorites shipped to your doorstep for less. Book of the Month, bound to delight. And get your first book for $10 at bookofthemonth.com slash crimewriters. Crime writers. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, a podcast about true crime, pop culture, journalism, and this week we're going back to Wisconsin for the latest in Brandon Dassey's efforts to get out of prison. We're also going to head back to San Quentin to check out the sophomore installment of Ear Hustle. Then we'll dive into a new podcast, Mogul. It's part Mean Street Saga, part hip-hop history lesson. Joining me to get all of that done is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and the host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, Kevin Flynn. Kevin, thanks for being here. I just, I heard in my headphones, like, some birds tweeting. Yeah, you know why? Like, is Snow White joining the panel? <laughs> well, I'm going to actually switch up the order of the intros, because I do think we need to provide an explanation okay. for that. Um, right. Joining us also is the panelist with whom we always agree to disagree, the novelist and co-host of the podcast, Radio Free Dystopia, Winnipesaukee Island Dweller this week, <laughs> Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Aloha. Aloha. <laughs> Toby, that was, in fact, from your end where we heard that bird chirping, I'm guessing, right? It's a little hard to hear with my headphones on, but it, it wouldn't be surprising. <laughs> You're literally on an birds. island in the middle of a lake right now recording this podcast. Yeah. You know, what we've seen a lot is a bald eagle. Nice. Oh. America. There's like a bald eagle on the island that flies over us <laughs> just for 4th of July. Just for 4th of July. Does he got like an American flag in his talons and goes Rah! In his beak. Like a hawk? Oh, in his beak. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's, he's got arrows in his talons. Oh, there you go. And a shield. So also with us is true crime author, journalist, former defense investigator, licensed PI, and certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Good evening. How was that pronunciation that time, Laura? That was very wonderful, Rebecca. So much better than my husband, who still can't say it correctly. (laughs) I'm going to try to keep it up tonight. I'm going to do my best. (laughs) And if you don't, people, it's okay. (laughs) It's fine. I don't know why you get more worked up than Laura Bricker does. (laughs) Laura Bricker. Laura Bricker. But it's fine, really. It's totally fine. To worry more about what goes on at Wimbledon. That's right. That's right. It's Wimbledon, by the way, with a D. Wimbledon? Yes. Oh, see, I said that one wrong. (laughs) Come after me, Internet. Come at me, Brits. Come at me. Come at me. So, you know, we haven't been together for a couple weeks. I'm just curious, going around the horn real quick, is anybody watching or listening to anything good that we just need to catch up on real quick? Kevin, have you seen anything or listened to anything great lately besides what we're talking about tonight? Um, I am doing two 
two shows that I'm uh, binge watching. One is Bosch, mm-hmm. on which came out a couple of maybe a couple of months ago. I'm just getting around to it now because I really it's Bosch like season it. three. Bosch season three and Master of None right. on Netflix. And we also watched that true crime thing on HBO about Bernie Madoff. Right? Was that called The Wizard of oh, Wizard of Lies? Lies. Which was yeah. meh. Yeah, it's meh. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Laura? You've been watching or listening to anything great so far this summer? I had high hopes. I started watching Twin Peaks The Return on Showtime because I was <laughs> a huge Twin Peaks fan. And then I was just like, pardon the language, what the fuck? It's like one big acid trip. Like I And I stopped watching because I was convinced that there really is not even going to be a point to it. And after season one of the original, it all went downhill. So that was disappointing. And then my husband and I started watching Glow on your recommendation, Rebecca. Yes. And um, that was all fine and dandy until my son walked through during a sex scene. Um, (laughs) I forgot to mention there's a lot of sex in Glow. There's not a lot of sex. No, but there's a couple of gratuitous, not gratuitous, a couple of sex scenes in Glow. But it's a great Netflix show. It's a dramatization of the glamorous ladies of wrestling that league. Mark Maron is so awesome in that. Mark Maron is great in it. What's her face? Gilpin. uh, Betty Gilpin. Betty Gilpin. Betty Gilpin is great. It's really fun. Keep watching it, Laura. Just don't let your I son will. watch it. I will. <laughs> He's fine. What about you, Toby? You watching or listening to anything great right now? Actually, I'm not. I'm on vacation. Uh, <laughs> well, Toby, take that, people. I do have a suggestion for you and an idea. Okay. We discovered this week that Toby apparently doesn't live in America because he's never seen Game of Thrones. Oh, my God. <laughs> How have you managed to avoid the Game of Thrones thing, Toby? Well, I read the first book before it came out on HBO, and then, I, you know, I don't know. By the time I started getting interested in watching it, there were so many episodes that I was like, there's just no way. If I start watching this, there's going to be no time to write or do anything else. Gotcha. <laughs> so I'm basically waiting until I have some, like, awful surgery where I'm going to be laid up for <laughs> weeks and weeks, and then I'll binge watch it. Well, I have a proposal for you. Uh, We're going to be back in two weeks, and the season premiere of Game of Thrones uh, is going to happen between now and then. And we're not going to cover it on the show like we cover other things, but like... I would love for you to watch this one out-of-context episode of Game of Thrones and come up with maybe like five questions for us that we can answer for you. Because I would love to hear what someone who's never seen the show thinks about being dropped into this season, season premiere episode of the show. Could you do that for me? I could do that. Yes. Very excited about that. <laughs> You'd be like, a, again, you have a Stefan review. <laughs> this episode has everything. Dragons, imps. Incest. Incest. <laughs> golden hands. Brooding. <laughs> Boiled leather. Zombies. Chainmail. Okay, yeah. All right, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait. You're going to love it, Toby. You're going to love it. I cannot wait. Well, he's either going to love it or he's going to be like, (laughs) why is everybody so depressed? I can just imagine what his five questions are going to be. It's going to be amazing. Afterwards, I'll tell you about Hodor. And what all that was, okay? Oh, that's so sad. Hey, that was in the book. That made me so sad. Oh, did did something bad happen to him? Well, mommy and daddy, this is going to be a big spoiler alert. We'll talk about it offline. (laughs) Okay, so Kevin, before we get started with the show this evening, there's some business we have to take care of. Yeah, it's it's the end of the quarter. <laughs> what does that say? mean? It's time we, for us to do our taxes. It's a little business here. We want to thank all of the people who are new Patreon supporters. Yay, Patreon. That are supporting Partners in Crime so that we can do things like bring you this podcast and new podcasts like yes, HGTV, HGTV and Me, and me on coming its out way. later this summer. So some of the people supporting us at the $10 a month level or more. Include Miriam Rajunski. Mm-hmm. I probably fucked that name up pretty bad. <laughs> Miriam Miriam Krajewski. <laughs> okay. Janessa R- uh, uh, Ritter. Ritzer. <laughs> Do you want me to read the names? Yeah, here they are. <laughs> All right, so my take is Miriam Krajewski, Janessa <laughs> Ritzer, Uh-oh. Meredith Weipert, Aiden Harvey, Rita Woker or Voker and Alex Oliveira, who we know, he's a friend of the show. Yeah, and plus the 28 other new supporters that are supporting us at another level. And so uh, I want to thank everybody that's making that possible. We're able to do some new things with promotions and other stuff to help the shows grow that we couldn't do without your help. That's right. That steady stream of support helps us pay the bills, right? Right. <laughs> and we don't have tote bags like public radio, so we really appreciate that. <laughs> I wish we had some tote bags. We'll be on our tote bag. 
Team uh, Team Toby. How about beer coolers? <laughs> Ooh, that's a good idea. Oh, well, damn. That's better, yeah. You how know. about wine koozies? <laughs> yeah, I'm down with that. All right, Kevin, can you please read this for me? True crime podcast update. Well, uh, some news dropped, at least to me, on Twitter just before we started taping this show. I learned that on July 17th, we're going to be getting a brand new season of Breakdown. Mm, With Bill Rankin this time? With Bill Rankin. It's called Murder Below the Net Line. Apparently explores a crime case with a lot of unanswered questions featuring Bill Rankin. So I'm pretty sure we're going to be talking about that at some point this summer, maybe in a couple weeks. So I'd suggest to our listeners, if you're interested in listening to the things that we're going to be talking about. Check that out because I'm sure we'll all at least listen to the first couple episodes of that. Toby, are you down to listen to another Bill Rankin-led breakdown podcast? Yeah, of course. What about you, Laura? You, you like Bill, right? I do. I love Bill Rankin, so I am down with that. Yeah, you love Bill Rankin mm-hmm. too, right? Yeah, so do mm-hmm. I. <laughs> I do. I love him. Uh, since Kevin, we got one more of these. True Crime Podcast <laughs> Update <laughs> number <was> two. <laughs> Number two. I don't like the way that sounds. That means something else to me. Number two. (laughs) What is it that um, the imp always says in Game of Thrones? I drink and I know things. I drink. And I know <laughs> that's what you sound like yes, when you say number two like that. <laughs> number two. Well, I, I want to just touch briefly on Ear Hustle because we talked about the first episode of Ear Hustle a couple weeks ago. I thought the first episode was incredibly strong. I said it was one of my favorite new podcasts to come out in a long time. And a huge part of our topic of conversation about that first episode of Ear Hustle was that the show is about these guys who are in prison in San Quentin, and yet the stories aren't about how they got there, why they got there. In fact, we had this whole conversation about whether or not you know, they should say why someone's in prison when they introduce somebody who's in prison. And then we get episode two, which is 100% about how a guy got there. So uh, episode two was about a former gang member. His nickname in, in the gang was Joker. He became a gang member because some guys stole his tacos and beat him up when he was a child. <laughs> and then we get this really nice primer on how being in a gang doesn't really provide protection. It sort of makes you part of a goon squad that is like obligated to fight with other guys the minute that you see them. I'm just curious to know what what you guys think. Laura, did you listen to the second episode of Ear Hustle? I did, yes. How did you feel about the episode and about this primer on the appeal of gangs and what being in a gang means? Well, you know, I was surprised that the next episode went this direction because I was thinking based on the first episode, like we talked about, that they were going to be kind of staying away from what we would think of as sort of like the stereotypical in prison story, which is sort of what we got in this second episode. But I do feel like based on the fact that the people that selected this story are people that are in the prison, they know which guys are full of shit about really being reformed and which guys are just saying it so that it looks good and court. So and especially after hearing the horrible story about what happened to this guy's family as a result of a gang hit that he took part in, you know, I think his story is sincere. So it was, you know, very interesting to hear how he ended up where he did and how long it took him to reach the point where he kind of got past the anger and actually changed his outlook on life. But that being said, I hope that episode three goes back to some topics that aren't what we're used to hearing, because these are stories that we have heard before. Well, I think we got a nice preview of what episode three is about. It's going to be about the guy who kept the pet Black Widow in prison and uh, (laughs) gave it flies and bugs and created a little show for himself. (laughs) I think I missed that part. I think I was walking when I listened and I didn't hear that preview. It was in the the previews. It was actually a really great piece of tape. He's like, it's got comedy. It's got drama. It had everything that you needed. Kevin, This episode has everything. (laughs) Comedy, drama. Kevin, what did did you think about (laughs) What did you think about the second episode of Ear Hustle? I liked it, and Laura's right. That was sort of the one thing that we thought was missing. I don't know if we thought we needed it, but we we pointed it out that the people we were introduced, there wasn't a lot of time spent on how they got to San Quentin. It was more about life there. But this was an interesting profile piece on a certain prisoner, and I thought that the part of his story, which I can imagine as a producer, when I hear it saying, oh, we need to do something on your story— is the part when he converted to Islam and then met one of the guys convicted of killing his mother and brother. Right, right. And ended up having a kind of, for lack of a better term, uh, a relationship through religion with him. I thought you were about to say come to Jesus moment for a second, and I'm like, that's not what it was. No, that's not what <laughs> 
That's what I thought you were going to say. I'm sorry. So, Toby, what did you think of the second episode of Ear Hustle and, and the story we heard about Joker and his gang life and what led him to being an inmate at San Quentin? I liked it. I mean, I thought it was interesting. I, I kind of wished they'd gone like a little bit deeper. Like one time they said that black people learn from an early age to, you know, commit violence against each other. And then there was this thing about like your sort of gang obligations. And I'd kind of hope that they might explore that a little bit more about the sort of the why rather than just like this is just kind of the way it is. But in general, I thought the story was good. It's certainly... I thought kind of illustrative of how, you know, maybe a culture that they're in to do things that from the outside look kind of callous and and sort of unthinking and foolish that then get them put away for decades, but sort of why this happens and using this one story as an illustration. Yeah, I really liked it. I mean, I, I'll tell you what I really liked about the episode. My favorite moment was when he said he talked about the man that he murdered and he described it as a murder because it was. And he said, it sounds like senseless violence. And it was. So right. he, he's not excusing it, but he's just telling you how he got there and what that obligation to immediately attack somebody who provokes you in that way. And that is just... That's what it is. And then, you know, immediately afterward, he was sort of seen as like a hero in the gang and and so forth. And I, I don't know. I, I thought it was nicely done. And I, I don't want to say that I hope this is the only like backstory we get of an inmate. But if we only get one, I think this was a good one because we hear about gangs and it's sort of been dramatized so much in films and on TV and especially like in prison uh, media. It was nice to get this very, very thoughtful backstory to, to provide some context. I thought it was good. I'm really looking forward to episode three. Like I said, the preview sounds like episode three is going to be the pets in prison episode, which um, <laughs> sounds very interesting to me. I'm interested to hear how, how, how that goes. You know, there's one thing I, I did get sort of this uh, a little bit more information about what's going on at San Quentin. And you're like, oh, the Media Lab, and did they just put this together? They've had this for a while, and I think before the podcast, the inmates or the the prison or whatever had a, a local radio show, mm-hmm. and I think that they have a newspaper mm-hmm. inside the uh, uh, the walls there, so they do have. Over they in Arizona, they yeah, have, you're in a tent a, uh, with bread and water. Yeah, they have a roof garden. They have a uh-huh. yoga. St- We've been hearing from some people who work at San Quentin who've been telling us that it is. I don't want to say it's obviously not. You don't want to like want to be incarcerated, but they, it's they, not summer camp. They've got a lot of programs. But, yeah, a lot more programming, and it seems a lot more resources than a lot of prisons have. And you well, we know where at the I stand things on about, that. about Rikers, right? And about the living situation inside there, and about how little is really being done, right. About rehabilitation. That's a jail, though. It's not a prison, but yes, but same but, thing. But you know, then this here, where there seems to be a lot of emphasis on the, those who will return to society. To do something with them and not just breed super criminals. Right. But not everyone at Rikers is going to get out either. And that's what's like so encouraging is that there is. So there was a wonderful Today Show segment last week on Ear Hustle that actually went inside San Quentin and the reporter Mm. met the guys who make it and they talked to all the people kind of behind it. And it was really, really good. You saw the four by nine cell in the TV package. Let's put that on our website so that our listeners can find it easily because it is kind of hard to find those TV segments a week later. But it was really, really good. And uh, you get to see Erlon in person and so forth. So, all right. Well, anyway, I expect to continue listening to Ear Hustle. We're not going to talk about it episode by episode, but I just wanted to mention that one because it was such a departure from episode one. And um, I'm still really it. So I still give it a thumbs up. I don't know about you guys, but that's what I give it. All right. So let's move on to this. Kevin, can you read this for me? True crime update. Since we've been away, there have been several developments in the case of making a murderer supporting character Brendan Dassey. He, of course, is the nephew of Stephen Avery. He's accused of being accomplice in the killing of photographer Teresa Hallback in 2005. Now, last summer, a federal magistrate threw out his confession. Do you remember that when we got that news? We were on vacation. That was a year ago. That was uh, a yeah. year ago, right? Uh, yes. Now, Laura, despite this win in the federal courts, 
it really seems like the state wants to keep Brendan Dassey in prison. What is going on right now with this poor kid? What isn't going on? This is like you really need a flow chart to keep track of this. So it was, you know, last summer, his conviction is overturned. And then if you remember in November, it was very exciting because he was going to get out in November. And the judge had ordered him released by a certain date and time. And then the state filed an emergency motion with that. And we hadn't heard too much about that. Obviously, he's still there. And then June 22nd, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals affirmed the decision by the judge to overturn the conviction. So that's good news. We think, oh, things are moving ahead. The three-judge panel agreed that Dassey was coerced into confessing and should be released unless the state decided within 90 days to retry him. Obviously, the state objected. It's just this poor kid. I mean, he's catching a break, but it seems like at every turn, the state is just not letting go of this case. So on June 28th, just a week later, another federal court ruling comes out, orders Dassey to remain in prison, and it is only a one-sentence order. They denied his request to be released from prison while the state appeals a decision overturning his conviction, and the order only read, it is ordered that the motion to lift the stay is denied. That was it. No explanation, nothing. And then today, more news in this case. And Wait, so today, what? Prof- Did something happen today? <laughs> something, I'm telling I you, that's what I said. You need, I'm learning this now. You need a flowchart. I mean, to keep track of all the times they've said, okay, we agree, you can get out. Nope, just kidding. They're going to fight it some more. So today, prosecutors submitted a petition for the full Chicago Federal Appeals Court to review the decision overturning his conviction. It hasn't been released, but some media outlets got news that this had been filed, and it basically alludes to the fact that both a federal judge and a federal appeals tribunal have ruled in Dassey's favor. And so the state is asking the full panel to review the case. Obviously, documents have not been made public, and there is no time frame for the appeals court to decide any action in this case. So it it sounds like with each time poor Brandon Dassey thinks he's going to get out, the state says, no, no, now we have to wait for this appeal to be done and that appeal. So... You know, this case just, it's really dragging on. And it's its unfortunate because in my opinion, this is one of these cases where enough is enough. Like, really, this is pretty obvious that this kid got screwed. Like, let's just move on. Um, but apparently that's not happening. Okay, end of my little soapbox diatribe. I'm no, fired up about this. I liked it. But there's so many okay. parallels between this and what's happening in the Anand Syed case, where the city keeps appealing to the state. It, you know, one more chance, one more chance, one more chance. And here in Wisconsin, the state keeps appealing to the federal courts. One more chance, one more chance. And it's like the prosecution seem, you know, more determined to take it to a higher court as high as it will go rather than retry. There's one huge thing that's not parallel to the Anand Syed case that I think Toby will agree with me with, which is that we saw on television that Brendan Dassey's confession was coerced. There is video evidence that that kid was coerced into confessing to a crime with details that in no way match the evidence of the alleged crime, and he was denied his rights. Like, that is what separates it here. I mean, I'm not saying that that didn't happen to Anand Syed. A lot of people think that, that you know, he had some injustices perpetrated against him, too, by the police and by the courts. But, like, it wasn't on TV what happened to Anand Syed. Like, we didn't all see it. Right, Toby? Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's two different things. And one is like what we've seen and what we, you know, the know the particulars of this case. And then the other part of it is how does the system work? And I think there is something to be said to a certain extent. You know, if you go through a trial and you've got a jury and there's no clear misconduct, that jury's decision should mean something. It's got to be more than, well, a whole bunch of people think he's innocent and it seems like he's innocent, so we'll just toss it. In individual cases, you see that and you're like, well, why isn't this going faster? But if you take a look at it as an entire system and how do you want the system to work, jury decisions should be powerful things and they they should be hard to overturn absent some piece of compelling physical evidence that proves that somebody's innocent, like some of this DNA stuff that's come out. So it's it's a difficult one because in, in individual cases where you see people, like you, you wish it would move faster and you wish they could get relief and get and get out of prison faster. But I do kind of understand why as a system, you don't want it to be really easy to overturn a jury verdict because that's kind of what the whole system is based on. And if you start saying, well, that's not compelling, 
It's in like, well, why are you putting people away for a long time based on going through this process? Like, how can you have confidence in it if you're not willing to stand up for it in cases where it seems a little shaky? So I I have sort of kind of mixed feelings between sort of the individual cases and then sort of systemically how those things work. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I mean, to me, though, you and I don't see eye to eye, I think, in the Anansiad case. And that's okay because we agree to disagree. And that is like (laughs) the beauty of this podcast (laughs) is that we can like not be 100% on the same page and we still respect each other's opinions. FYI, guys, that's what it's all about. But I think in this case, we've had now two courts say this confession was coerced And the entire conviction was based on this confession and like it needs to be overturned. This isn't fair. What is in it for the state, Laura? I mean, as somebody who has worked on defenses, why is the state so determined to keep him in prison during this period where a new trial has been? Like, what is the upside of keeping him in there? This is a kid with like developmental disabilities. I know. And that and that's the part that's different in this case when you were saying that these cases are similar. Like Brandon Dassey is clearly intellectually challenged, whereas we did not get the impression that that was the case with Adnan. So, you know, the only thing I can draw from this, you know, and this is just total speculation, is this is a high profile case. It's gained a huge amount of attention. And at this point, the prosecutors have to just hold firm and stand steady and keep this case going because there's this huge national spotlight on this case. And I think that it's more of like an ego thing at this point than anything else. You know, the good thing that has come from this, I saw, you know, some other news out this week is that this is really starting a big discussion about how juveniles are interrogated and issues around juveniles that we knew and that, you know, you hope people are aware of. But this particular case has really brought that to the forefront. I see a parallel between Joker's story about growing up in a gang and being on a prosecutor where it doesn't matter, you know, when you see someone coming the other way, you've got an obligation to jump them. Oh, so you're saying like a prosecutor is like a gang member in this case? Well, maybe I'm stretching this too far. I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for this. But the idea that you cede no ground Mm -hmm. and a defense attorney, too. But the prosecutors who are handling this probably were not even in law school when this case was first heard. They don't have a personal connection to it, but they have a professional obligation. A stake. They have a stake. They have a stake in it because that's their job and is to make sure that those who are in don't get out. Right. And so I feel like there are some people who will look at that videotape and not see the same things that we see. I gotta be I gotta be honest. Like I totally get that like not everybody's on the same page as everybody else when it comes to what's fair, what's not fair, mm-hmm. what's clear, what isn't clear. I am a journalist and therefore I'm not I'm not supposed to say things that are just like this is how I feel about this thing unless it's like not something I ever cover. That was like the definition of a coerced confession. That was like Brendan, say this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was insane. It was an insane confession. That that's what his entire conviction was was based on. But I, I just want to like just pivot for one second because what's also been happening this week around the making a murderer case is that Kathleen Zellner, Stephen Avery's attorney, all week long. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this. Um, she's been tweeting out links to the affidavits of the experts she's hired in her wow. attempt to free Avery. And her tweets say things like blood planted and bullet planted. And then she links to these very, like, well done, like, expert affidavits where they sort of look at the evidence and whatever. But here's a lawyer saying, like, this affidavit is evidence of police misconduct. And what do you think of this style of litigation, Kevin? Is uh, this... I don't think it's evidence. I think it's affidavit. They're affidavits. Right. Is this going to free Avery? Uh, in the end, I don't know. I don't know if it will. I mean, it's an awful lot of stuff to read. And I don't know if. It's uh, the kind of thing that a lot of of we civilians, whether we have the patience for that, which is great because there's Audible, so we can just listen to the stories (laughs) that we really want. I don't think the affidavits are on Audible, Kevin. They aren't. It's probably the one thing that they don't have because (laughs) unlike a streaming or rental service, Audible has an unmatched selection of audio books. Unlike streaming or rental services with Audible, you own the books. And you can access them anywhere, anytime, from just about any device. Plus, thanks to the Great Listen Guarantee, if you don't like a title, you can swap it for a new one. But if you're like Rebecca Lavoie, you love them all and you keep them all. What have you been listening to? Oh, my God. My Audible addiction 
goes on and on and on. I'm spending ridiculous amounts of my time listening to Audible. It's incredible. Just in the last couple of days, I've listened to two books. I listened to The Drowned Girls by Loretta Ann White. Really fun thriller, sort of in the style of The Killing on AMC. And I've also listened to Say You're Sorry by Melinda Lee. Two really interesting books that I really, really enjoy. Toby, listening to anything good? Again, I'm, I'm on vacation, but I would recommend the Martin Cruz Smith Mysteries with Arkady Renko. Right, that and down. <laughs> he, he did a number, Polar Star, Gorky Park. They, they follow initially Soviet, but now Russian detective. They're very well written, sort of classic mysteries. I've read Gorky Park. I loved it. Laura, give us an example of something great to listen to from Audible. Well, I am still on my Anne Cleves kick. I have finished the Shetland series, and thanks to Rebecca, I am now starting on the Vera Stanhope series, which is her other mystery protagonist, and really enjoying it. It's a very deeply layered mystery with a lot of atmosphere, and it's really good. She's a great writer. She really is. Yeah. So you get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash crime. That's audible.com slash crime for a free audiobook with your 30-day trial. I love me some Audible. I'm addicted, as you know. Yeah. I can ignore you so much more easily when I am listening to Audible. <laughs> you do. <laughs> what else you got, Kevin? Well, it's that time of the show when we... <laughs> I think I know where this uh, is going. When we talk about Lola Tampons. <laughs> that time oh, of the show. I see what you did there. And I hand the script to my wife, Rebecca. Well, the FDA, I don't know if you know this, doesn't require tampon brands to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients in their tampons. So most of those tampon brands don't do that. Major brands use a mix of synthetic ingredients in their tampons, including rayon and polyester. You don't want that in your sheets. Why would you want to put that inside of you? (laughs) No, you don't. That's all I got to say. Those brands' tampons may also be treated with harsh chemical cleansing agents, fragrances, and dyes. Lola makes your month just a little bit easier. Their subscription is fully customizable, so you can choose your mix of light, regular, and supers, your number of boxes, your frequency of delivery, because you know your body best. And if you're like me, my body's a little weird. It's like I'm not on the regular like four-week thing. It's super weird, and Lola is there when I need them to be. Lola was founded by women for women. They are BPA-free. They leave me worry-free about what I'm putting in my body. It comes in the schedule that I decide. So if you are interested in checking out Lola Tampons, they are fantastic. You can get 60% off of your first order. Visit mylola.com and enter the code crime Crime. at checkout. That's the code crime. Crime. (laughs) Now you have to do it too, just as I do it. I do. That's mylola.com and enter the code crime. Crime. M-Y-L-O-L-A dot com. Code crime. Crime. All right. Thus ends our tampon ad for this week. Thus ends that time of the podcast. (laughs) Now we're going to look at the latest podcast from Gimlet Media, a.k.a. the HBO of podcasts, as I like to call it. We're going to be talking about a show called Mogul. The Life and Death of Chris Lighty. Now, Mogul is about Chris Lighty. He is the most famous music figure you may never have heard of. Uh, He came from the streets of the Bronx to become a top executive in the world of hip-hop at Def Jam Records, managing acts like Missy Elliott, LL Cool J, and 50 Cent. His death in 2012 reverberated through the industry. While officially his death was ruled a suicide, many of his famous friends questioned that conclusion. Now, let's talk a little bit about Mogul, because this is the first biographical podcast we've talked about, and that's essentially what it is so far anyway. We're only through the first few episodes. It's a straight biography, but Kevin, you would argue that it's not the first biographical podcast. Well, I was going to say that it's more like S-Town than it is like Serial, Mm -hmm. because uh, I don't think we have much of a crime story here, although there's some tough characters and some interesting anecdotes, but I think for the most part, what we're dealing with is... You know, look at someone's life. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not as deep literary as S-Town, but I think it's it's more in that vein. And I think the question is, okay, well, what does the story of Chris Lighty have to do with, you know, the history of hip-hop as a whole and to the, whatever the bigger story that we're trying to get here? So you guys might be hearing some background noise in the background there. I get a little alert from uh, Bricker that uh, there's a technological reason for that. Laura, what's going on at your house right now? Uh, the freight train is going by. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, yeah. we'll do our best to filter it out. But in case we can't, listeners, there's a train that goes by Everybody Laura's wants house. to be in the act. 
It's insane. It's totally insane. <laughs> so, Toby, you're an author. You've written several novels. You got to know, like, when you decide to do a biography of a person, whether it's in book form or podcast form, there's got to be a reason why you're choosing that person to do a biography of because they're either part of something important or they are somebody important or they have a great backstory. What do you think of this choice by Gimlet to feature this podcast that's a biography of this guy, Chris Lighty? Do you think that he is a compelling character to carry a biographical portrait? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I don't know very much about him beyond what I've heard so far in three episodes, but I, I think it's a combination of a compelling personal story plus him being there for sort of the birth and the, the development of hip hop. So you both are learning about him and also about the genesis of this uh, musical genre. Now, Toby, one of the things that I think about a lot, like I'm a big hip hop fan basically since I was a kid, but I also know that there's a lot I don't know about how it started, where it came from, the specifics of that. Rick and Russell wanted to be the anti-rapper's delight. Just listen to the difference between that and a true rap classic, LL Cool J's Rock the Bell. LL Cool J is hard as hell. Well, that was the intention to give people what they wanted versus what uh, everybody's polish was, you know, and let's make some stuff that really represents the streets that we come from, the sound that we liked. This is sort of a primer on the birth of this musical style, which is really like the last musical style that's been born. That There's been nothing new, really, since the birth of hip hop. You think about like the 60s and 70s, you had, you know, Kevin, do you want to just like do oh, well, a quick well, like? Like you had Skiffle yeah. or Scuffle. Skiffle. Skiffle, yeah. Which became an early rockabilly and then rock and roll. And then rock and roll becomes you've got hard rock and you've got. Uh, prog rock. Prog rock and, metal, and punk rock and then disco. Rock. And then there's all sorts of like sub genres of dance music, you know, dubstep yeah, yeah. and whatnot. But uh, hip hop, sort of a major category, I think was sort of the last. And we're talking like the early 80s that it started. And like this, early, yeah. And it's kind of the last new thing that's happened. And w- which was rap. And then I guess you could call maybe rap sort of like the umbrella term that well he explains that in the show he explains that rap used to be the side man and now it's like the main feature uh-huh. but hip hop is the whole like the the genesis of the beat sort of like that came from those guys plugging into the lamp posts i guess the question i wanted to ask you toby is what did you think of this sort of primer and history of hip hop that we heard in the first 3 episodes did you enjoy that part of the podcast as much as i did yeah no i thought i thought it was good it, it definitely had sort of the new york focus Like, I think, you know, there's a whole other thing going on on the West Coast, which they kind of touch upon, but more as sort of the rivalry between the two coasts. But yeah, I mean, there's a ton of stuff I didn't know about. And I thought the storytelling was pretty good. It, It wasn't as bad after the first episode, but the first episode, it really seemed to me that it was like written for like a television documentary. Mm -hmm. It seemed like the writing should have been accompanied by visuals. And I think part of it was there was lacking some kind of specificity or something that these general statements you you sort of expected to be joined to images that would further help define what they were talking about. And since that wasn't there, they're sort of like, you know, the Bronx is burning. I kind of get that you mean that it was violent and there's a lot of energy and all this stuff but it just seemed it was such a general sort of vague statement that it's one of those things meant the Bronx were yeah, burning actually, in the late I, 70s I actually think that was but, exa- but, explained but, yeah, pretty but well if you're, but, but, but if you was, don't but it, already but know that he's right it just seems like like it's symbolism that's mm-hmm. what he means like you know if it were a TV thing then you would see like archival footage of people running through abandoned blocks that are just rubble and bankrupt New York and whatnot. Toby, I'm backing up what you're saying here that that if you'd seen a photograph or some some archival footage of some of this stuff, it might provide more context. Yeah, I just I just kind of felt like usually when we listen to podcasts or radio stuff, there's a little more specificity about things. Like it, it kind of stands on its own. And I think in this case, especially in the first episode, 
that it was written as though there was going to be some kind of visual accompaniment that would further define what they were saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's I guess that's my only point. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't find that to be the case in the second and third episodes. Right. I have to say, I agree with you. The first episode was the least strong of the three that we listened to so far. There have been three episodes so far. By the time our show drops, there will have been a fourth. And I think the first episode was very much an overview. And I don't disagree that it was not the strongest one. I think it gets really strong closer to the end of the first episode. Laura, I know this is a whole world. You've talked on this show about, you know, in responses of our listeners who like have said like how white we are, which we 100% mm-hmm. acknowledge, like we're super yes. white. Can't do anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, I'm I'm from a racially diverse place. Toby has lived in a racially diverse place. But for the most part, like our experience and our lens here is really white. We're not saying that that's good. It just is the way that it is. And Laura, I would argue that you are perhaps the whitest among us uh, in terms of oh, yes. your life experience, which you, have, I think, have acknowledged. What did yes. you think of these couple of episodes and, and how they gave you that history of the evolution of hip hop and of black culture in the Bronx in like the 70s and 80s with these kids like trying to keep their Adidas as white as possible with like yeah. toothbrushes and powder and all that stuff? What did you think of the story that you heard? Did you learn stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a window into a world that I really didn't know much about. You know, I grew up, like I've I've talked about before, in the middle of nowhere, Vermont, in a town with one gas station and a soda machine, and one black person in like the surrounding five towns. So that was my experience with any sort of diversity. So, you know, this is obviously a completely different world. And, you know, listening to sort of the background of Chris growing up, as it sort of parallels the background of the narrator of this podcast. And that, you know, both coming from similar circumstances in the Bronx and hearing how Chris's childhood was not really so great. And his mom actually sent him away for his own safety at one point. So I think I liked listening to sort of the evolution of Chris as he went from being part of this group of, I, I can't remember what they're called, like the thugs. The violators? You know, his little, the violators. The violators, oh yeah. you are so white. <laughs> I can't remember. the violators are. That's okay. I can't even remember. That's yeah. okay. But I liked hearing these early sort of introductions of music that, you know, when I, when I hear the music, I recognize it and hearing where these people were when they were first discovered or when they first started working and kind of, you know, looking at that in like the broader sort of historical context of this sort of evolution of hip hop, it, you know, it's, it's sort of like the story of Chris and the story of hip hop and how they're both sort of happening together at the same time. I think they want to tell the story whether or not it's accessible to a white audience, too or to an audience that are not fans of hip hop. Yeah. You know, like You're not a huge hip hop fan. Do, uh, do you like the podcast? Do, do, yeah. like, do you like the music stuff? Yeah, I do. You know, I found it educational mm-hmm. in the sense where I, you know, I have some experience with some of the musicians and not other ones. I was super impressed with the idea of taking like two turntables and the way they were mixing it and I have to keep reminding myself this is before digital. Right. Today, you know, any 12-year-old kid can do that right. and make that mix. But to do it, you know, on the in fly. Garage band, right? In garage band, right. But to do it, you know, sort of real time and match the pitch and the tempo with records that they found some other place. I mean, when you're I, stealing I found electricity that was really from a lamppost in uh, yeah. the Bronx. Yeah. <laughs> I want to just get a little bit into the story because there are some great moments in these three episodes of Mogul. One of the really great moments that happen is, you know, we hear about Chris Lighty's ascendance. He is a kid in the Bronx. He ends up hooking up with DJ Red Alert, who myself growing up in New York, like DJ Red Alert, like I knew immediately who that was huge, huge taste maker in music in New York. He's basically hauling records for this guy, and this guy sort of picks him out to be a road manager for the Jungle Brothers, which is like his nephew's group. And then he gets this opportunity to work at Def Jam Records. That is preceded by this attempt to introduce him to the great Russell Simmons, who is never in the office, and apparently to meet Russell Simmons, you got to go where he is, which is a club with a lot of snakes and cocaine. I had never been in a club with white people. I was like, this shit is crazy. Russell's is sniffing cold. It's fucking bananas. People were still allowed to bring animals into the club and all types of crazy shit like that. Snakes and all types of stuff. They were walking around with snakes and it was crazy that night. Maybe it was just the one night that I shouldn't have met Russell. Do you remember any of this? I was high as fuck, so I probably didn't remember it. That's Russell Simmons again. 
a lot of industry people hung there too. It was not just me and snakes. Uh, now, Toby, <laughs> <laughs> we heard of this story from the perspective of both Chris Lighting, his own words, because it's all this archival tape of him talking about it. And then we also hear Russell Simmons himself telling his version of the story and this ill-fated first meeting they had in the club with the snakes and the cocaine. Moments like this in the podcast, what do you think of them? Do you enjoy them as much as I do? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the cool things about the history of hip hop is that you've got these very like sort of I'm not sure if they're larger than life personalities, although I think Suge Knight is certainly one. But I mean, there are these sort of centers of power and these very colorful characters. And you can kind of understand the idea of trying to meet with Russell Simmons like it's clear why that's important. Right. The sort of people that they hung around with, the places where they were. You know, it's just super colorful as opposed to like if you're doing something about somebody who was like maybe rising in the insurance industry or something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just a different level of sort of color. And then also just there's danger and menace involved in this, too. It's a business. But like they talk about, I get maybe in the third episode, it's like the business practices of some of the people were not far removed at all from just, you know, operating a gang. Well, what they basically yep. said in the show was that you cannot separate the street from the business of hip hop because the music is from the street. So it can't be separated. That's actually a huge theme in the show and one of the most interesting things about the show there is that amazing scene where Chris Lighty goes to Queen Latifah's birthday party <laughs> and basically I think this is my favorite part yeah yes. instigates a brawl with fish tanks Throws breaking, him into a fish tank. and like you think about it he like lists all the people that are there and it's like everybody who's anybody is at this party and he basically ruins it by getting into this huge fight and this huge brawl breaking out and then after that point he has to choose does he sort of stay in his old life or does he put on a suit and reinvent himself as a new Chris Lighty and that I think is the turning point of where this biography is going to go Laura what did you think of that whole Queen Latifah birthday transformation situation. I liked it. I mean, I just, I love all these backstories. They're so colorful. I mean, it's just, you're listening to it and you're like, oh, I would love to have witnessed all of this, you know, to be like in the corner watching as this was unfolding. Episode three, I loved when we had the kind of toe to toe with Suge Knight scene. And I found in that part, I really find myself starting to root for Chris Lighty. Like he's a character that I want to succeed because you're listening to how he's got something kind of special going on, how he hears this demo tape and he picks out this guy, Warren G, and he's he wasn't the predominant person on that tape, but he heard something. So you start to really root for him as a character. When you get to that scene, you're like, oh, shit. And, you know, after the birthday party scene, like, where is this going? You know, because <laughs> that guy he's a big guy. And I'll be very curious to hear where we go next. But I, I especially love Rice Pilaf. That was a perfect <laughs> name for that episode. Oh, the episode where he's uh, serenading he Warren had Rice G. Pilaf to, before to come, yeah. to come to Def Jam Records. He sent LL yeah. Cool J to get him. And I have to tell you, and in my whitest white world, I did go to an LL Cool J concert once in college. That Congratulations! Congratulations! Yeah. It was a big moment. Congratulations! LL Cool J, by the way, was a great artist back in the day. So, Kevin, we we hear this this development of Chris Lighty now. Whoa! Uh, Is shooting? No, it's, it's freaking fireworks. That's oh. amazing. <laughs> I thought Suge Knight oh found you. That's some like guys. This is a New Hampshire atmosphere you're getting here. Yeah, hold on. I'll, let me mute. I'll mute and until I'm talking. Wow. Okay, that was amazing. Was like, what is? So Kevin, we just were talking about that Queen Latifah party and that like rumble scene, and then we were talking about how he has to go meet Russell Simmons at the club, Nels, and there are snakes and cocaine, and then this sort of decision that he has to make, you know, become one of kind of like the made men in the suits who's doing business and divorcing yourself from uh -huh. his friends from the neighborhood. We hear Chris Lighty talk about his maybe unhealthy loyalty to Lior Cohen, that Def Jam executive who kept trying to bring him on board. And he was the one who said to him, like, you have to separate yourself from your old friends. Right. We hear the dust Which up with Which is why we don't Suge hang Knight. out with our friends anymore. Right. But you, you hear the dust we're, up we're, with Suge Knight. You no, hear this we're like of, podcast gangsters. We're not. But you hear this territorial stuff, the street smart stuff, the honor bound stuff, the loyalty. You were a huge fan of the other Gimlet podcast, Crime Town. Mm-hmm. Do you see parallels between this story and that mafia story? 
Uh, just if you want to be in, you got to go all in. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually reminded of a line I saw from Better Call Saul, which is just stuck with me, which is, if you want next level pay, you got to do next level work. And so it, it's kind of like, you know, if you want to be an executive in this world, then you can't be throwing guys through fucking aquariums, you know? <laughs> it's And that's sort of like the turn in every rags to riches tale. And, and certainly any story, whether it's a, a movie star, a music star, or an athlete that comes from humble beginnings, that there's always a push and pull from the people that they grew up who supported them and then the new life that they live in and how much of that world can they bring in and is that, that good for them? That's not a new story. Right, well... Ultimately, though, we know because the beginning, obviously, it's it's not a secret, but they sort of lay it out that this guy committed suicide. And, and the opening scene of the podcast really is his funeral. We mm-hmm. hear his mother giving that like incredibly moving eulogy about him. So we know that he ends up dying. We know that his death was ruled a suicide. And we hear some teasing of doubt about whether or not his death is really a suicide. I don't have to Google for very long to know that this is like sort of along the lines of the, uh, Tupac Shakur. Uh, another that one is of deep. The, not quite as deep. Not, not, no one's seen uh, not, Chris Lighty walk out of 7-Eleven. That's true. There isn't quite as much, uh, quote, evidence of this. But there is this undercurrent narrative that is out there in the media about whether or not his death was really a suicide. I guess that what I want to know is, Laura, do you think that this is where this podcast is going to go? Or is this going to stay a straight biographical history? Do you think it's going to go into whether or not his death is a mystery or commit to the suicide and, and just give us the biography? What do you think? I'm hoping that's where it's going to go, because there, there were people that knew him and you hear people expressing such shock when he did commit suicide. So, you know, it seems like the direction this is going is kind of building up the backstory of his life. And I would expect we're going to get to the point where we find out maybe there was more going on with him behind the scenes than people realized. And, you know, maybe the pressure of getting to the point that he was at was more intense for him to deal with. But who who knows? Maybe there were personal issues going on. That is where I hope it's going. But I also want to hear more of these great stories of the hip-hop world, like Vanilla Ice getting dangled over the balcony. You know, when you're talking about Crime Town, I'm... Yes, allegedly he never admitted to it. That's some Frank um, Sinatra like, you, shit right there. Like, man, you know, there's the crime town part for you. So, yeah, Chris Lighty chose to be more upstanding. But then there was this segment of the hip hop world that is threatening people with baseball bats if they don't sign their contracts and give them more royalties or something. So I hope that there's kind of a blend of both. But I think if we started with the suicide, I think we sort of need to end with that and answer that question or at least explore that question. Toby, I I think there are still some fireworks going on in the background of the lake where you are, but do you want to weigh in on where this podcast might be going? Um. (laughs) Take cover, Toby. Can you hear all this? It's amazing. Just go for it. Just Just go for it. It's insane. Um, So uh, a couple things. One is uh, I actually based a character in my first novel, The Vaults, a little bit on Suge Knight. And it includes a like dangling out the window scene. Yes, I remember that scene. Yeah, that was sort of inspired by Suge Knight. But as far as where this goes, who knows? I mean, I, I have no idea. When somebody commits suicide or people say they commit suicide and then people are like, well, he had so much to live for, you know, he was this, he was that. That may very well be completely immaterial to why somebody commits suicide. I mean, that kind of depression can hit anybody regardless of what their personal situation is. So, you know, I'm always a little suspicious of that attitude. That being said, I I just don't know much about his story. So there may be a lot of other extenuating things. So I wonder if it's like sort of like the Richard Simmons thing or even S-Town where true crime podcasting is like such a thing that if you can put a little mystery into what is otherwise sort of a completely different kind of series, then maybe you do. But if this is just a biography, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of it because I, I think it's a, it's a compelling story and it's one that I don't really know much about. So, but I do know of a lot of the characters. So <laughs> wow. I'm just, I'm, I'm dodging bullets. You're like a drive-by. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, anyway... All right, go ahead. Uh, go, go ahead and mute Toby. Go ahead and mute again. I just want no, to leave it on. I have I a question for Kevin. All right, Kevin. One of the things that I just want to say before we give our final review of this show, Mogul, 
There is a Bud Light ad in this mm-hmm. show that I went back and listened to twice more. Uh-huh. Hold because, on. Let me take a sip of my Bud Light lime here. <laughs> because one of the things I pride us on and, and really I'm proud of on this show is the way we do our ads and transition mm-hmm. to the ads. Obviously, it's sort of a trope in the show, mm-hmm. but like we try to make the ads fun because a lot of podcasts have the same companies advertising and like you want to make them interesting and cool and part of the show in like a compelling way. There's a Bud Light ad in, I think, episode two of two. this show where they talk about Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff. And it is just a freaking great piece of content. I'm just going to drop in like a little 10-second bit of it right here. I'm here in the studio with my guy, Chris Morrow, editor of Mogul, and my co-founder and partner at the Loudspeakers Network. Chris is a New Yorker now, but originally he's from Philadelphia. And we ended up talking about one of Philly's greatest moguls. Will Smith is just a master entertainer. People forget, like people look at Will Smith now and look at him as this established artist. Back then, he was one of the most dangerous MCs on the mic. Will Smith was the first double time rapper. He was the first rapper who would actually speed up his rhymes. Jazzy Jeff was probably the greatest the greatest, DJ, greatest DJ. DJ of the era. He had the tra- he did the Transformer as yeah, well. Yeah, he was is, the first guy to innovate the Transformer. Which is, uh, it's like scratching a record so it actually sounds like the sound effect of a, tra- like of a car transforming into a robot. Yeah. Kevin, do you think Gimlet Media has outdone you in making the greatest podcast ad in history. Oh, I don't know. You're really throwing down there, Rebecca. I, <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I mean, if I thought about it, I, I'd have to like lie down on my Casper mattress, which has. <laughs> no, I'm just, I, I'm just shitting with you. I don't. Re- we don't really have a Casper mattress. It was anymore. a good ad, though. It right? was. Oh, it was a very good ad. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the thing. And look, folks don't like their content interrupted with with uh, advertising pitches, but if you can make it part of the show and it's interesting and you give people that spoonful of sugar, then um, that's good. So for them, it it was a substantive discussion over a Bud Light. With us, we usually just kind of do something kind of funny and goofy. No, I know, but I love the discussion. I love the in-depth analysis of Will Smith and uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff because... I do feel like the Will Smith story has been lost over time with his acting career. I don't think people remember. But here's here's the thing with the advertising. The advertising professional in me would ask is, do you walk away remembering the discussion about Will Smith or the Bud Light? Kevin Flynn, I am talking about a Bud Light ad on my show. It does not have Bud Light as a sponsor. What do you think? Okay. (laughs) Laura, did you also enjoy that ad? Sounds like you did. I did, and I enjoyed the one in episode three as well. All right. how they tied it together at the end. Well, Laura, I'm going to start with you. Let's give our review of Mogul. Uh, Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. Are you recommending to our audience that they subscribe to and listen to Mogul, the podcast from Gimlet Media, The Life and Death of Chris Lighty? What do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. Laura Bricker. I say thumbs up. You know, it's a great story. It's a great biography. And we've got some F-bombs in there. So that makes me happy. We've got some, you know, New York was fucked up. So I say go for it. It was. Toby Ball in the land of the firework palooza. I would like you to give your review of Mogul from Gimlet Media. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways. Should our listeners check it out? What do you think, Toby? Yeah, I'd give it a thumbs up. And I would also say that if you're not like totally wowed by the first episode, stick with it. Like listen to episode two, because I, it does. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, it, uh, I, I think it does get stronger. I mean, I think I think one kind of stood out to me, especially the first two thirds of episode one, I think are the weakest part of what's been out so far. So just hang in there and give it enough of a shot to really get a sense of what it is. You know how we talk about when like Foley on podcasts? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Intentional Foley. Kevin, what do you yeah. think about Mogul? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Should our listeners check it out? Uh, I agree with Toby that it doesn't really pick up to about 15 minutes into the first episode. I'm kind of indifferent. I mean, I do like the historical stuff, you know, learning about the rise of the music genre and about some of the people in it. I don't know. I just... I guess I'm a thumb sideways. I don't mean to be so wishy-washy. I mean, it's just, I'm just hoping that it ends up being more than like a, a hip-hop Forrest Gump, you know, a guy who gets into a lot of close shaves. Speaking of close shaves, uh, Harry's <laughs> is so confident that you will love their blades. Uh, they're going to give you a set for free. Just cover the $3 in shipping, and your free trial set includes a weighted 
ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. It's a $13 value for you to try. I gave my dad a set the other week and uh, he loved it. He absolutely loves it. But here's the question. Yeah. Does Will Smith use Harry's razors? Does he? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but he should. I mean, Will Smith could afford to pay for those expensive yeah, razors. Could. Could, but he probably would But why would you want to? Yeah, no, I'm not going to. He's not going to get the razor burn. No, he's going to save so much money. He'd be able to have two homes in Bel Air. <laughs> Toby, you also like yourself some Harry's, right? <laughs> I seem to be having a close shave right now. Um, yes. <laughs> All right, mute again, mute I, again. Yeah. No, 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 let him go. Let him do it. Let him do it. I, I, think, I think there's a pause in the action. Yeah, I love Harry's. I've, like, literally run out of people in my family to give them to, and they're awesome. Yes. And here comes another volley. What? Ready? Uh, you, you can see it. He's waiting for the pop. Uh, here comes the train. <laughs> oh, my God. God damn it. Fireworks. We go, we go bi-weekly and it's a freaking audio disaster. This ad has everything. Fireworks. Trains. Razors, razor blades. Will Smith. Smith. Go ahead, Kevin. Menstruation. Go ahead, Kevin. Oh, God. Stop messing around and get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your free trial offer. $13 value for free. Just cover up shipping. To get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel, go to harrys.com slash crime. Crime. Right now, that's harrys.com slash crime. Crime. Wait, before I ask you something... (laughs) Toby, just... No, 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 come on, this is... No, it's... Okay, I'm I'm muting. I I thought I'd muted it, but I'd forgotten. Kevin, before I ask you if there's anything else, can I just tell you what I think of Mogul? Well, it's your show. Go for it. Thumbs up. Okay. I love it. I love every minute of it, except for the first few minutes of the first episode. Chris Lighty's mom's eulogy was beautiful, but yeah, it was a little bit of a slow burn halfway through the first episode, and then it, bam, picked right up. I'm loving the storytelling. I love Reggie Osei as a narrator. He's also a character in the story, which I really love. I love the anecdotes about things like Queen Latifah's birthday party and sort of the the shenanigans going on in the early hip-hop scene. I liked everything about it. And yes, I would strongly recommend that our listeners subscribe to this podcast because you might learn a little something. So, Kevin, we were talking about uh, your close shave with Harry's. Is something else that you wanted to talk about? Yeah. I mean, uh, you might as well also be thinking about your eye health and about looking good without glasses by wearing Hubble contacts. Ooh, Hubble. Now, what if I told you that you could get a fresh pair of lenses for every single day for $30 a month? You do the math, that's a dollar a day. I would tell you that's a hell of a lot cheaper than the contacts I used to wear cost per month. Yeah, about half the price, yeah. right? Yep. You can go to HubbleContacts.com and get your first two weeks for free. Rebecca, you've been using Hubble. I have been using Hubble, and I will tell you this. There has been a barrier between me and ordering contacts online through other contact services for many years. You know what that barrier is? Uh, I don't know. What that is whole it? thing where you have to like call your doctor and get your subscription or whatever. Right. Hubble does that for you. You just tell them who your doctor is. They have like a drop-down menu. They take care of it for you. And next thing you know, these contact lenses show up and they're great. I see beautifully, just like I did in my super expensive contacts. They're better. They're cheaper. Check out Hubble. They're great. Yeah, and Hubble can even send you to an optometrist if you don't have a prescription. Hubble sells directly to you so they can offer contacts at half the price. No more overpaying or ick, overwearing. <laughs> Go to HubbleContacts.com to get your first two weeks of lenses for free. That's free. 15 pairs of lenses for free. That's a lot. You really can't beat this deal. Hubble is offering our listeners two weeks of free contacts. Go to HubbleContacts.com and get 2020 vision for half the price. That's H-U-B-B-L-E Contacts.com. Now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the Crime, Crime of, of the, the Week. week. <laughs> it happened in my favorite state. Of Florida, <laughs> 38-year-old Cedric Jelks had a mishap with a handgun, accidentally shooting himself. Police say he went to his girlfriend's house and unknowingly sat on a loaded gun. This caused the firearm to go off, and Jelks was shot in the wiener. 
His girlfriend took him to the hospital where he went directly to surgery. His medical condition is unknown, but his legal outlook seems bleak. To add insult to penile injury, Jelks faces possible felony charges for unlawful possession of a gun because he sat on one, apparently. So, panel, here's my question for you. Toby, I'm going to start with you. Now that Mr. Jelks is recovering from his penis injury as a result of sitting on a gun and getting shot there, what advice would you give him during his wiener convalescence? I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> it's like the the whole thing is just a complete... Uh, <laughs> Ow! Toby, your penis! <laughs> Uh, <laughs> God, they're committing to these fireworks. They're really committing. Ha- ha- happy birthday, America! All right, these are actually, these are actually my these are actually my friends. It's my my friend Dan's uh, anniversary, and his wife really likes fireworks, so they're setting off a ton. Oh. Wow! Uh, I bet she doesn't like podcasts. Exactly. Yeah, I think you know if you've got it. It's like maybe just put the safety on, dude. I mean, it's if you're just going to be dropping your loaded gun here or there, just put the safety on. Laura Bricker, do you have advice for this man who sat in a gun and shot himself in the wiener? Uh, frozen peas. Frozen peas. <laughs> Isn't I, I mean that's 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 all I can say. You know that that might help him out right now. What about you, Kevin? Do you have advice for Mr. Jelk as he is enduring his convalescence? Yeah, smaller bullets. My advice would be: uh, it's not the size of the ship; it's the motion of the ocean. And maybe you don't sit on a loaded handgun, you big dweeb. Yeah, that's how you get in trouble with the <laughs> penal system. <laughs> All right, Laura Brecker, we should probably end it on that note. But before we do, is there a cat of the week this week? There is a dog. And I have to tell you, I should have picked this particular dog many times before because it is so creative. And it is George, owned by Sarah Larson. And this week, George is meditating on why he has not been chosen as a cat of the week prior to now. (laughs) He also had a nice Handmaid's Tale outfit at one point. George has really put in some effort and he might have to be like cat of the month or dog of the month at this point. Go, George. <laughs> Congratulations, George. And hey, George. Uh, Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to reach you on social media, perhaps pitch their animals to be Cat of the Week, how can they find you online? At Laura Bricker. That's on Twitter, correct? That is on the Twitter, at Laura Bricker. Yes. That's L-A-R-A. Laura. Laura. Bricker. Toby Ball, if our listeners want to tweet to you, perhaps give you some tips about how not to get decapitated with a rogue firework, how can they reach you online? At Toby Ball NH. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny every time. It's funny every time. Kevin Flynn. <laughs> was a double. Kevin Flynn, if our listeners want to reach you on Twitter, maybe give you some advice about what to do if you sit on a loaded handgun, how can they reach you? Yeah, they get me at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoie. And this show is on Twitter at Crime Writers On and on Facebook. Just look for us there. You can chat with fellow listeners. Sign up for our newsletter. Use our Amazon link at our website, CrimeWritersOn.com. Listen to our other show. These are their stories, the Law & Order podcast. This week on These Are Their Stories, we have the great June Thomas from Slate talking about Serena Sutherland being a lesbian and what a surprise that was. It's worth checking out. Wouldn't you agree, Kevin? Yeah, I agree, yes. (laughs) Our handsome line producer this week is Henry Lavoie, and he is, in fact, very handsome. Our theme music was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was recorded in Square Egg Studio, the closet in our basement, which currently smells like a mice graveyard (laughs) on behalf of all the crime writers thanks so much for listening we will catch you later later oh my god toby (laughs) (laughs) we had an exterminator come last week and we got got like a regular like exterminator service they're going to come every three months and like check everything and whatever but the first time they come they just set up everything to kill and then they, they want to check the efficacy of it. And I came down to the basement today to tape that Slate parenting podcast. And I opened the door and it smells like John Wayne Gacy's crawl space down here. It's insane. Oh, yuck. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. 
Book of the Month is a rapidly growing service with a simple goal to make sure you love what you read. Browse the five best books of the month and discover titles you wouldn't have found on your own. With exclusive pricing starting at just $10 and free shipping, you can get your favorites shipped to your doorstep for less. Book of the Month, bound to delight. And get your first book for $10 at bookofthemonth.com slash crime writers. Does that say bound to delight? Yeah, bound to delight. I see what they did there. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes.